Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. Mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Habakkuk. To the book of Habakkuk and chapter number two. So we're recording, right, Matt, uh, Serena? Good. The book of Habakkuk, chapter number three. Good. Habakkuk and chapter number three. We're continuing with our series of Habakkuk, walking through this minor prophet book. We understand that the Bible is divided up into sections. This is found in the section of the Minor Prophets, right before the New Testament. It's some of the smaller books, but even though they may be smaller in size, they're major in message. And as we've been walking through the book of Habakkuk, we can see that the country of of Judah is in great trouble. That in this city, violence is going on unanswered. The courts are now making wrong rulings. And it's, it, it's the place where there's more unrighteous than righteous. So the laws aren't kept. So the prophet Habakkuk did what any believer should do. And he went to the Lord in prayer. But to his surprise, God answered him verbally. And God said, I'm going to do a work in a, your day's I'm going to do a work so wondrously that if I told you what I was going to do, you wouldn't believe me. And so God says, let me tell you what I'm going to do. Ye among the heathen, I'm going to make Babylon come, destroy your nation, destroy your temple, transport your people into captivity. That's how I'm going to solve your spiritual problems. And Habakkuk said, what? How's this going to work? And God said, I told you, you wouldn't believe me. And he goes on and he spends chapter 2, God spends chapter 2, explaining to Habakkuk that the Babylonians are worse and that God is going to take the rod that he uses to chastise his children. Then he's going to break that rod. Now as God has taken time to explain the five charges, the five woes, the curses upon the Babylonians and why God is eventually going to send destruction upon them, Habakkuk now has the opportunity to respond. And so if you don't mind, look with me in the book of Habakkuk, chapter number 3. The book of Habakkuk, chapter number 3. And notice with me in verse number 1. Habakkuk, chapter 3, in verse 1. Notice what the Word of God says. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shiganoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Habakkuk chapter number 3? Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 2, notice the phrase, revive thy work. Revive thy work. And with this, we can see the prophet's heart cry for revival. The heart cry for revival. Our greatest need of this time is revival. Of course, we're in election year and the election is just a couple of weeks away. And so many people are putting their hope in the election. Some people are putting their hope in the government. Some people are hoping 
for putting their hope, their trust, their confidence in a stimulus package. Some people put their hope and confidence in their family. Some people put their hope and confidence in a school, education. People are saying, the reason why things are wrong is because we need education. So if we educate people, that will solve the problems. Some people think that their Facebook post is what the world needs. And that's how it's going to solve the world's problems. And so people are trusting in lots of things. But the one thing that we need is revival. We need revival. God wants to do revival. You know, Jesus told us that we need to evangelize the world. Praise the Lord. This is what he's given us to do. But evangelism is not revival. We praise the Lord for everyone who passes out a track and witness to the people. But evangelism is not revival. Now that's obedience But that's not revival. Evangelism is telling the lost about Christ. Revival involves God's people getting their hearts stirred. It is us getting right with God. Of course, with a lot of things going on in our nation now, that there's been many people who are praying, and praise the Lord, we should be praying. But they've been missing out on some other things. What they've been missing out on is that they have not been humbling themselves. They have not been turning from their wicked ways. They have not been seeking after God. And so we're missing that part. Those parts include revival. It is God's people having our hearts stirred for obedience to Him. Then God in response pours out His Spirit to do something with us. And so with uh, this, because people don't understand revival, in fact, if you talk to most preachers, every preacher will have a different definition of revival. We understand it's something we need, but what is it? What does it entail? What's included in revival? Well, if you don't mind, I'd like to walk you through some things about revival, and then we'll hit this passage again to with the understanding of what's going on. But there are some things that we have to, first of all, understand as we work our way to knowing what revival is and understanding what it is. First of all, we understand for revival that God desires to work through us. God desires to work through us. Now, as Habakkuk standing on the eve of the captivity of Judah, he's looking at this. The nation may have been insignificant, but it's Nothing's more important than the people through God has chosen to work. In our churches, God wants himself to make known through people. Sometimes we forget this, that God wants to use us. God wants to use us. Now, we know that God could do things in different ways. I, you know, it's amazing when people pray or people talk. It's amazing to see what people have in mind, you know, like, God, I need money. So are they expecting a money tree just to pop up? Are they expecting a briefcase? I mean, how does that work? We pray for people to be saved. God, please save so-and-so. Sometimes when we talk to them, it's almost like they imagine that light is going to come in from the heaven. The beam of light's going to hit them. The angel choir are going to go, ah. And the people all of a sudden, yes, I see the Lord. But you know how people get saved? Someone talks to them. Someone gives them. God uses human instrumentality. 
And so revival, we have to understand, is going to be part that God wants to use us to do something. Some people have the idea of revival that God is going to open up the windows of heaven and automatically he's going to fix all the problems and we're going to stand there and watch. No. Revival is getting us right with God in a place that we could be usable by God. Then God's spirit empowers us to do things we could not have done by ourselves. But God wants to use us. So part of revival, part of preparing for revival is making ourselves usable. That's the hard part. There's a high price to pay for revival because we don't want it. We like to be filthy and dirty. We like our sin. We like our way of thinking. We like our schedule. We don't want we want to serve God in certain little sections that we set aside. Say, all right, God, you're, you, you, you've got from uh, 1.30 to 2 o'clock on Saturday. That's what you get. And we wonder why we don't have revival. God wants to use us. And he wants to use us where we're at. We're not telling you to quit your job and to sit on a hilltop. We're saying God wants to use you where you're at. But he needs you to be usable. So when we understand what we're asking for, when we understand we need revival, that revival is not evangelism. Revival is God's spirit pouring upon his people as they make themselves usable, as they make themselves available to God. There's a high price to pay. God desires to work for us. Something else we understand is we're preparing for this revival and understanding some things. Revival is our only hope. Revival is our only hope. Now Habakkuk knows that his, his nation go, is going to be judged. This calamity is unescapable. He came to believe that his only hope was revival. If we believe that our only hope is revival and that only people who have revival are God's people, then we who know the Lord are the key to that hope. So what we're talking about is that the Republican Party is not our plan for revival. The Democratic Party is not the plan. The Progressive Party, the Libertarian, nobody <laughs> the politics. God is not trying to use lost people, unsaved people, people who have not had their sins forgiven. God wants to use people who have their, who has been forgiven of their sins. To bring revival. To use to see revival. They have the key to the hope. So what we're talking about here. Is if we say we want revival. That means we're wanting us to be usable. And us to be the key. God revive me. Revival does not start as a nationwide movement. It starts as a spark in someone's heart. And as they get right with God, and as God starts using them, other people around them say, I want that. And they start praying for it, and they start getting right, and they set aside, and they make themselves usable. Revival will start with a person, and then a group of people, and then a church. It starts with us. So when we're praying for revival, we're not looking on the outside we're saying, it's us. Us. 
we're the key. And if we're not willing to get right for revival, if we're not willing to prepare for revival, if we're not willing to make ourselves usable for revival, revival won't happen. You say, well, this isn't the encouraging message on revival, that, but it's the realistic thing. I mean, what are we expecting when we're praying for revival? We're expecting for some politician to say, I've seen the light. I am no longer going to steal money. I'm, I mean, what are we expecting? Are we expecting for all the criminals to put down their guns and say, you know what, we're sorry, no more robbing. Are we expecting for all the drunkards to say, you know what, I'm done with drink. Something magical happened upon me. Some pixie dust found on me. I could fly, I could fly. I mean, what are we expecting when we're praying for revival? It's one thing to say we need revival and everybody say amen. What does it mean? What are we looking for? What do you, I mean, we say that, but what do we mean by that? It's why we need to define our terms. It's not evangelism. It's us. And that God desires to use us. And that people are the key. We're the ones who need revival. We're the ones who need to get thoroughly right with God. We're the ones who need to make ourselves clean and usable. As we go on, we're describing what revival is. Trying to get a clear definition so we're on the same page. We know what we're expecting. That we're not saying we need revival and then all of a sudden some sweeping hits across the nation. And all of a sudden everyone says, I'm right with God. That doesn't happen. But what happens is that if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal their land. What's another thing is we're starting to understand what revival is. Revival means a greater devotion to Christ. Revival means a greater devotion to Christ. All believers know that we need a higher level of devotion to Christ, but revival comes, we're willing to serve the Lord because we're devoted to Christ. This is why revival doesn't come. We're satisfied with what little knowledge and little service we have of Christ. It is amazing through all of the years that I've been preaching, how many people think they've done God a favor because they showed up to church. God, you should be happy now. I've arrived, I've sit at church, I've been in my seat, you should be happy. That's the minimum. I mean, that's something we should do. The story of the unprofitable servant says why are, that the, un, the un, <laughs> this servant who does his job hasn't done anything spectacular. He just did his duty. He just did what he was supposed to. Do you think that we should applaud kids every day because they showed up to school? Well, they did what they were supposed to do. They didn't do anything major earth-changing. They did what they were supposed to do. Well, you're supposed to show up at church. (laughs) That's like one of the minimum things of following after Christ is to show up at his house and assemble together. But we get to that place I've done God a favor. I passed out a track. Therefore, let revival commence. 
We, we act like the devotion that we have for Christ is enough and that God should be happy with what little thing we decide to give to him. That's not devotion. Devotion to Christ is to fall in love with him and to say, I love my master. This morning's sermon, I love my master. And I want everyone to know that I love my master. And I want everyone to know I'm going to follow my master. And it's not just words. I follow my master. I'm devoted to him. He's my answer. He's what I'm looking for. That what's going to happen when revival comes is that people show up to church more. People read their Bible more. People pray more. You say, but I read one chapter last week. I'm good. That's not revival. Revival is God's people are hungry for God. I want to know you more. God, I want to have you more. And you want to know why revival doesn't happen? Because we don't want more. We're satisfied with what little time and little devotion and little obedience that we have to God. And that's why we don't have revival because we're good. I showed up to church once this month. I'm good. That's why revival doesn't happen. Revival is a deeper devotion for Christ. Notice something else when revival happens. Is that revival increases the labor force for Christ. Now we need more people praying and witnessing involved with every workforce of every church. Revival will cause more people to get under the workload and serve God. You know what happens when revival comes? Some person who's made themselves available to God, God uses them. What does he use them to do? To work. To work. To go tell more people about Christ. Let me tell you that someone with the Spirit of God upon them goes to talk to someone else about Christ. There's something different about that witness when God's power is on it. We've all passed out tracts and talked to someone just in a normal conversation. Praise the Lord for that. But they look at us and nod their head and smile and say that's nice. But there's something with the power of God upon a person and upon a place where God does something and the workforce goes out and the people are willing to go out. The pastor's not begging people to go witness. They're going out without being told. And they're being effective in watching God work. What happens is, remember at the very beginning, God wants to use us. What does he want us to use us to do? Sit here and shine? He wants to use us to see work done. More people to go out. More prayers to go out. More witnessing to go out. Oh, to see the revivals and to see the prayer life of those people in revival as they get a hold of God. And God works. Prayers work, by the way, and it's hard work. It's why we don't do it, because it's work. People pray, and people are seeing answers to prayer. People are going out and witnessing, and the Spirit of God is upon them, and they're effective. Because God's the one who does it. So the revival increases the labor force for the Lord. But something else revival does. Revival causes greater interest in the Lord's work. As Christians, we must narrow our interest. 
we often have to eliminate good things so we can go after the best things. Amen. So often, people are distracted by so many things. You know what a specialist does? A specialist knows more and more about less and less. A specialist knows more and more about less and less, right? They study less things. But you know when you, revival happens, we have less interest in other things. And we have more interest in the one thing, following after Christ. That's a good thing to put, to say all of it for Christ. All of it I want to know. I want to know more about Him. Revival causes a greater interest in the Lord's work. I want to know more about him. I want to know more about doing this. I want to know more about prayer. I want to know more about what God is doing here. That's part of what revival does. Something else is that revival brings more zeal for the Lord. Amen. More zeal for the Lord. Zeal gives, helps us to take advantage of all the opportunities that God has opened up. Now we live in a time now where there's so many opportunities Absolutely so many opportunities to work. So many opportunities. Whether it's electronic media, to see how many people could be... I mean, those things are useful. Even something to make it available so we could share messages. Those things have to be done. I mean, we live in electronic thing. Um, something about focusing on, even on recovery addiction programs. To, get, to, to have a zeal for it, to have such a burden for it, to go after it. I mean, it's one thing to say, oh, that's nice, that's something that's needed. There's another thing to have a passion for it, say, this has to be done. We have to go out to have someone say, you know what, my town is dying and going to hell. Something has to be done about it. There's something about a zeal and a passion for it. By the way, that's contagious. When people are excited about the Lord, when people are saying, Woohoo! I can't wait to see the next person saved. People start getting discipled. Man, let me tell you, I've got a passion for discipleship. Oh, to see them change and to watch them walk in obedience and to watch things happen. I mean, there are so many opportunities to serve the Lord within the scope that God has given us. But again, as we said, the good is the enemy of the best. So many people are stuck doing good things. To the neglect of the best things. Satan loves to do that. He loves to give Amen. good people good things to do. And we look like bad guys when we're trying to say, no, 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 that's good, but you need to be doing this. The best things, the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ, to following after him. And there's a zeal for the work. That's something that we're missing today. By the way, that's part of the armor of God, according to the book of Isaiah, to put on the cloak of zeal. And we've lost this zealousness, this idea of enthusiastically. All right, we're going soul winning. All right, if we have to. Hey, we're having church. Okay, I guess we'll show up. Hey, we're going to read our Bible. You guys still do that? We've lost this zeal. We've lost this enthusiasm for the Lord. I mean, we're serving the best master in the world. By the way, this is going to go on forever to serve the Lord. God doesn't go away. This world will eventually go away, but God won't. The things that we do for now will matter. But these are things about revival. Let's get to the message here now. 
Let's see some things here. First of all, I want to show you a burden for revival. A burden for revival. Notice with me in Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. The word Shiganoth is an expression of profound and strong emotion. And so here it's saying Habakkuk the prophet, he's praying. And the Shiganoth is actually a musical term. But it is, uh, you'll see it in the Psalms. But it's an expression of profound emotion. Strong emotion. So he's not saying, Lord, send revival. Start a fire in me. He's, Lord, please, we need revival. You are only hope and wrath. Remember mercy. He's got a burden for it. It's not something he could take it or leave it. Let me tell you, when it comes to God's things, if you could take it or leave it, you'll leave it every time. Every time. If it's not important and it will eventually drive pass away. If church is not important to people, then they'll eventually not come. If Bible reading is not important, eventually they'll stop reading the Bible. But there has to be a burden. Lord, you have to work. So many people talk about God working as if... Kind of nice, but you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. No, God is our only hope for our nation. People don't realize how close we are from the destruction to come. We, in our lifetime, we may not have the United States of America. And we have a lot of people who are in disbelief. I wish it was not so. I don't want to sound like a prophet of gloom and doom. But we can't go on the way we are. Our country may not be the country. There is nothing in the Bible that says, God bless the Constitution and we're going to protect its freedoms forever and ever. Do you know America is an anomaly in all of history? In all of history, there's never been a country like this with the freedoms that they have. Nothing, nowhere. We're an anomaly in all of history. And if it goes away, then that will be normal according to history. So there's nothing guaranteeing our freedoms in the Bible. If we have a dictator, then we have a dictator. We still have to follow what the Bible has to say. We should enjoy the freedoms we have, but let me tell you, the freedoms are eroding away. Our only hope is revival. By the way, when the prophet Habakkuk is praying for revival... Uh, let's go to the next one. The basis of revival. The basis of revival. Verse number two. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. What does this mean? He heard what God said. I am going to destroy your nation. That is going to happen. Check it off. Put it down. It's going to happen. Habakkuk is not going to pray the destruction away. For America, we may not be able to pray the destruction away. We have to understand that the basis here, what revival we're looking for is not to keep our country. It's for souls to come to know Christ as their Savior. Where is this coming from, by the way? And I was afraid, O Lord. 
It was the fear of God. Now, we've been explaining the fear of God. Where does the fear of God come from? It comes from a personal, intimate knowledge of God. We know the fear of God includes fear and trembling. And the fear of God includes a deep respect. It includes all of that. But where does it come from? A personal, intimate knowledge of who God is. Because I know God is, who God is, he's going to keep his word. Because I know who God is, God will not stand for the sin that is going on in this nation. Because of who God is, God will not allow this corruption to continue on without God chastening his people. Remember, the whole problem with Judah during this time, the whole problem with Israel, the whole problem with the United Kingdom even before that, was God's people were not right. The problem with America is not the Republicans, it's not the Democrats. It's not Madison, it's not Milwaukee. It's not the police officers, it's not the criminals. The problem is God's people. God's people aren't right. And so God is doing something to get our attention. And he's saying, you need to be fixed. That's the fear of God to realize that we have messed up. It's easy to confess other people's sins. It's very hard to confess your own sins. We messed up. We sinned. We were not right. We deserve judgment. God help us. But notice this. The blessing of revival. Habakkuk continued to pray in verse 2. He says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of years. In the midst of years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. He knew that the wrath could not be changed. But in the midst of wrath, God can still remember mercy. And not wipe out God's people. But instead, use God's people in the midst of it. To be able to witness to others. To be able to tell others about Christ. To be able to be usable by God. This is the blessing of revival. This is the hope of church by the way. The hope is that God will be merciful to us. This means that even if our nation continues to run away from God. Our Lord will be able to bless and make us a blessing. This is the blessing of revival. In wrath, in the midst of wrath God will remember mercy. We're in the midst of things where things are falling apart. Without a doubt. But God can still do a work that even in the midst of 2020, he could still do something special in this church. In the midst of the greatest period of fear within our country, and this is the land of fear right now, that our hope in the Lord shines forth greater than anything else. The people are saying, what's wrong with you? Don't you understand? You should be afraid to die right now. And we say our trust is in God. Not that we're foolish. Not that we're not washing our hands and not trying to be a good testimony wherever we are. That's not what we're speaking about. We don't have to live our lives in seclusion. We don't have to live our lives like a hermit. We can live our lives trying to tell people. As we've been out witnessing and knocking on doors... When we first restarted back up, we were afraid of the response. That We were afraid that people are going to freak out and give us the sign of the cross and put garlic around their necks. Or, you know, we, how are people going to respond? 
But as we've been going out, and of course, we've been trying to be helpful, we say, we're just going around the neighborhood just checking on people. See if there's anything we can do to pray for you on. And as we start the conversation, we continue on and just say, hey, listen, there's been a lot of people that's been hurting this year. And we watch them nod their head. And we're just checking on neighbors. Are you guys doing all right? Man, people are appreciative. They thank us for coming to them. It's amazing to see the response. Why? Because we're hopeful people. And we're checking on people and letting them know that they can have hope. And that they don't have to live in it. People are more responsive to that hope than ever before. Now, of course, we still got some people who are, you know, don't even give us the time of day and that's fine. But the response for the most part, or at least from my experience where I've been at, has been positive. Because we're trying just to show them that we can have hope in the midst of this time. And people are looking for hope. And wrath, remember mercy. Revive us in the midst of years. Now, I'm not saying that we have revival, but let me tell you, God has done something special in this church Amen. in this year. There are some churches that have closed and are never reopening. There are some churches that are closed and don't know what they're doing. I met so many people who are so disgruntled and so heartbroken because they said, we want to go to church and our church won't open the doors. Amen. But God has done something with us that our finances are doing well. They're more stable than they have for years. We've been watching more people reached. We've been getting more and more people trickling in all the time. We got people who are listening all over the place within our social media. We got people who are responding. People are calling and asking for help. We had a lady call yesterday and said, someone left a track of my door. I talked to someone, Carol, and I talked with her. And I looked on your website and I see that you have a Green Bay School of the Bible and where you teach doctrine and you teach stuff. I want to know more about that. There are still people responding. And people are saying there's someone out here that's doing something. There's someone that has hope and we need hope. Now, I'm telling you that God is doing something special here. And that we're on the edge of revival. We're on the edge of something for God doing it because God has been working. Those who have been with us all throughout this time, we've been watching you grow. I could point to you and say watching you grow. And you may not say see how you're growing, but we've been watching people grow, watching people move, watching people move forward to God. We're watching as God is using us. We're on the edge of revival which is impossible in man's eyes when the rest of the world seems to be falling apart and other churches are losing rather than going forward. And we're going forward. I'm trying to give you encouragement that we have a God who can do something. In the midst of wrath, God can give us mercy. That's part of what God's revival is. That's going to show up most when persecution when dark times, when collapse, when everything else is falling apart, a church that's having revival is going to stand out even more. We need to continue to move forward. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 920- Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.